Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast, episode 1056. This is my interview with Ashley Bush. We're discussing her new book, Life After Loss. Enjoy. Ashley, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. That's awesome. Whereabouts you're in Guatemala, did you say? Yes, I divide my time between Guatemala and New Hampshire. So I am from the United States and I lived in New Hampshire for 25 years, but uh, it's very cold there. And uh, so Guatemala Ooh. has much nicer temperatures. Okay. So what, six months there and six months in Guatemala? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be logical. But no, it's more like nine months, three months, three months in New Hampshire, that is, and nine months in Guatemala. Okay. Yeah, enough, cool. enough time to have a baby. <laughs> enough time to have a baby, yes, true. Um, so you're a psychotherapist, is that right? 30 years That's in correct. the in the I making? Know. 30 years in the field, which is still blows my mind. But yes, it's been a, a wonderful career and I love working with people. Right. What got you into this career? You know, I was in my 20s and I had graduated from university and I wasn't sure what to do. So I kind of drifted around for a while and I was in public relations and um, I was writing press releases for, you know, medicine, for like allergy medicine. And at one point I just said, what am I doing with my life? This does not feel meaningful. So huh. I had actually been a psychology major back in college and um, it just came together. All of a sudden I said, I need to be helping people in emotional pain just sort of came to me like in an afternoon when I was walking down the streets of Manhattan. And after that, I went into graduate school to become a therapist and I've never looked back. Cool. I've got a couple of questions from that. So going through uni, um, getting into a work that you, I guess it wasn't fulfilling you and exactly. we're not giving you that meaning and purpose. Um, that's great to have that sort of experience early on. And then then it clicks and you figure out what you actually want to do. But a lot of people, it can happen anytime in life, can't it? Um, yes, it really that. can. I mean, it's it's flashing back, obviously, a while in your career now, but walk us through those motions and, and maybe share some sight as to how that could help others in that same position right now and why it's so important to, you know, find something that you're passionate about and find something that you love. Well, it really is, isn't it? Because if you're just sitting in a cubicle, uh, watching the days come and go. And I realized someone asked me once, like, what, what's your five-year plan? And I was in my 20s and, and I said, well, I guess I only care about getting a promotion in this job so I can have a bigger cubicle. And then I thought, that is pitiful. That's a terrible goal. Like just to have a better cubicle in an office where I feel like I'm just a, a drone with no, like a little ant in the anthill. So I think that for people who are finding that they they don't have a purpose, it's time to start investigating that. For me, that meant a lot of prayer and asking a higher power to show me what to do. Although I will also say there's a book called The Color of Your Parachute. And that was helpful for me too. I think it's I think it's called that, something about a color in a parachute. And it's about how to sort of dial in to what would match your personality, your skill set, your interests. Because obviously there's meaningful work everywhere. And, and the truth is almost anything can be done meaningfully. Uh, so even if you're a barista or anything that you're doing, or sweeping floors, it can be meaningful if you have the right intention behind it. Yeah, uh, but for me, you know, for me, it just needed to be working with people and human emotions and particularly emotional pain, kind of getting behind the mask mm. of what yeah. people are feeling. 
Is that something that you felt you did anyway, like in your younger years, just helping yes. people and talking about emotions and feelings? And Yes, exactly. Yeah. That just was happening. Even people I met in grocery stores, it was just happening everywhere I went. So at some point I thought, I, you know, I really ought to be getting paid for this. Oh, I'm glad I didn't meet you in the, uh, in the third aisle of the supermarket. <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a pretty... <laughs> Well, you know, if you if you listen to people, they want to talk. People, yeah. you know, we yeah. we have things we want to be heard. We want to be validated. So, I, I'm honored to do that. You know, there's a lot of talk about this is going off a tangent a bit, but there's a lot of talk about this. You know, opening up and are you okay and talking about our emotions and feelings and um, which is great. I don't I don't disagree. I think we should encourage it. But sometimes I feel like now that people are doing it quite um, awkwardly or falsely. Um, with their mm. intent, they're just doing it because um, they want to be seen as as one of those people that are, you know, okay with emotions. Oh, interesting. Well, just a perspective. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. That's interesting. I'm not really aware of that because people who come to me really are interested in talking about their emotions. Mm. But if you're mm. right, if there's kind of like a that sort of a woke persona that you want to be, you know, into your emotional world and, and it doesn't feel authentic, then that, that would get old pretty fast. I would think. It's it's like the whole spiritual movement at the moment and this authenticity and, and things like that, you know, it's, it's taking a mm -hmm. bigger movement and people are jumping on that bandwagon um, almost like big companies going in with climate change, you know, talking about um, how good their company is and how they're so involved in reducing their carbon footprint, um, but just doing it really more for that, public sort of um relations uh, perspective yeah well you know in office in authenticity is an issue that time will suss it out i think if yeah. you're trying yeah. to meet someone and they say they're into their emotions over time you would realize that they're not or they were faking it or it wasn't true i, I think truth eventually wins over time and so you want to look for that because maybe the intentions are good, but if it's not really true or authentic, that's going to become apparent over time. You want to listen to your intuition. Is is what they're saying matching their vibration? Is what they're saying mm. matching their actions, matching their their words, all of it? You want to look at the whole package and you should be able to tell if someone's just sort of a, a talker. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, the other question I had for you was re with regards to um, psychotherapy and psychology, What what's the difference there? It always confuses me. So what, mm. how do you define yeah. that? I know. Well, you're right. And there's even one more, which is psychiatry. So, and right. psychiatry is the easiest one to define because it's really about medication. Psychiatrists are, are MDs. They went to med school and they prescribe medication. The difference between a psychotherapist and a psychologist is harder to tease out. Uh, because a psychotherapist can have a variety of degrees. They could have a PhD as a psychologist. They could have an MSW, which is what I have. They could have a licensed mental health. They could have a master's in marriage and family therapy. So it, it does get confusing. But in general, psychotherapy is that you sit with people in a 50-minute hour and you talk about their emotions and their childhood and you're helping them connect the dots and you're teaching them tools and you're having a session, Right. Um, but a psychologist, they might have a 50 minute session and do psychotherapy, but they also might be a, prof a professor, they might do research, psychological testing. So they have a, another um, sort of uh, tools in their tool belt. They're not just doing therapy, they might be doing all these other things like testing and research primarily. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. So 30 years, well done. 
Um, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it must be, I mean, you must be very good at dealing with emotions because I, I imagine the people that you meet, um, you know, you take a lot of that on board, don't you? Mm, yes. But you know what? And that's why I've been able to do it so long. Um, I take it on board, but I don't absorb it into my being because if I did, I would have burned out a long time mm. ago. So I've been able to sort of, you know, walk the tightrope where I care and I genuinely care and have compassion, but I don't absorb it into my cells because otherwise that would just be too much. I would, I would, if I was an empath in that way, I would have burned out. So how do you, I mean, is that just something that is that you've found naturally that you've been able to have that barrier or is or do you have tools to help you with that? Because a lot of people in everyday life, we deal with, you know, family members or friends or people that um, have a lot of emotional baggage that, you know, we grab onto and it, it weighs us down. Um, so you might have some it tools that might um, yes. allow us to put up those, not barriers necessarily, that sounds terrible. but Yeah, barrier is a strong word. Um, you know, boundaries, a word that people like Maybe to say or just... Yeah. Um, yeah, just sort of a, a protective um, um, self-care sh shields too strong too. But you you know what we're getting to this sort of permeable thing. Um, for me, I'm a meditator, and I also really take on my spiritual practices carefully. So that might involve chanting and praying and meditating and reading spiritual literature and really keeping myself in sort of alignment with what I consider my higher power. So, so I know that it's not really coming from me. I'm trying to get my ego out of the way and just let spirit come in. So what sort of meditations do you do or how does that look in your daily life? Well, I teach people about meditation and I love to recommend a, um, an app. It's a free app. It's called insight timer, insight timer. And they have literally thousands of free meditations. And the best part about it, because I love short meditations, you know, some people will go on the cushion for 20, 30, 40 minutes. That's never been me. I believe less is more. So I, I love a good five minute meditation. And the thing about Insight Timer is that you can put in a filter to search um, meditations by time. Mm. So I pull up all the five minute meditations and I, I'm good to go. Now, the thing about Insight Timer is some of them will just have background music and some of them will have actual guided, a voice that guides you to imagine something or go somewhere in your mind. And others will just have a timed silence. So you have a, a variety of tools that you can access. And the classic meditation, of course, is just to follow your breathing and to stay with that sort of counting to 10 in the inhale and counting to 10 in the exhale. That could sometimes work. I find that a little um, harder to stay focused. I like mantras where I'm just repeating a mantra over and over again, like Om Namah Shivaya is a classic mantra. That that, it's Om Namah Shivaya. O-M, Nama, N-A-M-A, and Shivaya, S-H-I-V-A-Y-A. And it's about just, I bow to the infinite, basically. Mm. And uh, But it's an ancient yogic um, Hindi um, mantra that just has a lot of power in it. Okay. Do you meditate? I do, I do. Um, I've been doing, um, I've, I've mixed it up all the time, you know, because you sort of, I don't know, I kind of get complacent and bored and, so I'm one of those people that exactly. have to change things. So um, right now I do uh, Wim Hof style breathing meditation because uh, oh, I, I just listened to his book and I found that quite insightful. And it's basically you're just doing these deep breaths. So it's 
um, not only meditative in its purpose, but it's also breath work as well. Yes. Um, so I sit there and you do 40 breaths, um, big breaths in and out, and then you hold yeah. your breath for a minute out. A minute? A minute or more. I, I can yeah, sort of get up to nice, close to almost two minutes now. That's long. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and then you then you breathe back in and, and hold your breath for another 20 seconds, and then you do it again a few times, that whole routine. Um, mm-hmm. But because yeah, you're you- sitting there breathing, you're just focusing on your breath naturally, and your mind wanders, of course, but often you can bring yeah. it back in because they are big breaths. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I agree with you about switching it up and that's why insight timer is so nice. Cause you could just try different ones and it's not as uh, stagnant, you know, you want to yeah. shake it up. Yeah. We, we so seek novelty. Insight, insight timer, I N S I G H T timer of meditation. I just downloaded the app here. So free nice. app, 52,000 users. Um, there you go. Nice tool for your tool belt guys. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about your book. Um, you've just written, it's just written, just published. It just was, it came out this year. Yes. I wrote it during the pandemic in Guatemala. It's actually my 10th book. 10th book. Yeah. Well done. It's crazy. Um, it's called <laughs> light you. after loss, a spiritual guide for comfort, hope, and healing. Um, Correct. And your 10th, 10th book. That's cool. Um, how's it all going? <laughs> it's going very well. I get to talk to people like you who I wouldn't have otherwise met as I go around doing some podcast interviews. This That's book, um, my very first book. So back in, as I was telling you about in New York city, when I was having this sort of uh, sort of existential crisis, what am I going to do? It also eventually led me to, for some reason, I, I actually can't even answer exactly why, but I was sort of guided to write a book about loss. And that was my first book. And it was called Transcending Loss. And turns out all these years later, 25, almost 30 years later, I write another grief book, Light After Loss. And I really didn't think I had anything left to say. I thought I had kind of said it back in Transcending Loss and also Hope and Healing for Transcending Loss, which I wrote six years ago. It's a daily reader. Anyway, when the pandemic came in Guatemala, we were completely shut down for six months. Mm. The airports Mm. closed. You couldn't go in or out. And we had these... um, curfews over the weekend where you were not allowed to leave your house from Friday afternoon to Monday morning. You literally could not leave your home. And this went on for almost six months. So I just had more time on my hands, basically. <laughs> and I thought, I, I need to write another book. So it, it came out. I like out that, taking a, an opportunity out of the madness that was, yeah, yeah. that a lot of people no. probably would have just got, you know, down themselves with. You've, um, <laughs> it's because of the meditation right it's because of the meditation it it keeps you anchored in the storm or it does for me um so anyway this book is specifically looking at how to bring spirituality to the grieving process and how that can make it um i would say more bearable because it's still very painful but it makes the unbearable more bearable Mm -hmm. okay is this is this something that wasn't triggered by a loss yourself or was this just i imagine in your line of work you deal with a lot of people that are, are grieving and that's probably um most often times yeah. their, their pain points and why they're perhaps down because grief um, and losing someone close to you can last for a long time if you don't have the tools to deal with it well it's first of all it's inevitable we're all going to lose people we love because yeah. that's the nature of being alive um and but yes it it wasn't an individual loss per se for me that led me it's you know who knows it could have been past life losses i don't really know i just know that i felt 
the call to work with grievers and and had a real sympathy for what they were going through, especially tragic losses. Um, and by that, I mean, obviously, accidents and illnesses and people dying um, under the age of 70, let's say, children dying, young people dying. But um, let's see, where was I going with that, Lee? No, I'm not too sure. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm how you came about writing it, I suppose. And Oh, um, yes, yes. So it wasn't a, a major loss of my own. It was just yeah. more the sense that I've been hearing these stories for so long and working with people and and recognizing that a couple of things. First of all, the, the journey of grieving a major loss doesn't really end. And it just is something that you learn to live with and learn to manage. And that's especially true for people with these tragic losses that I'm describing, that you don't just get over that. You learn to live with it. And the other um, important point that I like to share with people is that love is stronger than death. And so even though this person you love has left the planet in physical form, you're still connected to them. You're still in relationship with them. You're still connected spiritually and emotionally. And the love is always embedded within you. So the more you can turn to that, the easier your journey is going to be. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So the the loss of someone never ends then you're saying like the grief that always is exactly to some degree now it doesn't mean that you're necessarily in acute grief all the time and acute grief might look like after the first year of losing someone you love where maybe you're you're crying a lot you're confused you have trouble cognitive impairment you're having trouble thinking focusing concentrating that kind of thing is very very normal that's not going to be ongoing necessarily, but you will have something, what I call grief bursts that they will come at different times um, where the the grief just bursts through and it feels raw, even though it might've been 10 years or 20 years or 30 years since you lost your loved one. So that's not unusual. And it might come around a holiday or anniversary, a birthday, a death day that you're going to have an emotional response to to the fact that they're not here anymore, even though you're still in relationship. Okay. And you you talk about spiritual healing. Um, with that said, is it um is it a religious approach? Like are you are you Catholic or are you just mm. spiritual generally? Like how do we because yeah. like, everyone's got their own beliefs, I guess, around that. Exactly. And no, this is Uh, I actually really intentionally went about this to not make it religious because I don't want people who say they aren't religious to feel alienated. So no, I'm not Catholic. And I, I'm a big believer in, I guess I would just call source spirit and a generalized spirituality, but I try to make it so broad and so, um, all-encompassing that even people who say, well, I'm not spiritual, that's not for me, would would be able to read this book and find some comfort in it. So, for example, I would say nature is probably the most spiritual experience that almost everyone has had at some point in their life, meaning uh, that they've been moved by nature. They've been moved by a sunset or an ocean scene. They've been hiking. They've been on mountaintops. They've been in uh, walked trails, they've seen lakes, they've seen oceans, that, that there's something about nature that that we long to connect with. And I would call that a spiritual experience, that you're connecting to something more, something bigger than yourself. So mm. that's the kind mm. of um, experience that I'm talking about and trying to help people access. 
Okay, so when we're talking, and actually this is quite um, close to home for me, I lost my father earlier this year back in March. Um, oh. Suddenly he had a stroke and, and yeah, passed away. Um, oh, I'm, quickly, sorry. Fortu- I'm sorry fortunately. for For yes, him, yeah. You. Yeah, um, but look, it, it's something that um, that's, I guess, close to me, Sue, so we can talk about it in that sense. Um, but for someone sitting in that chair with you and talking about their grief, how do you bring the talk of nature into that conversation? And is it a practice that you encourage people to, you know, go out there and do some more hikes or go for a swim in the ocean? Like, what is it that we should be doing? Ah, interesting. Okay. Well, first of all, I probably wouldn't mention it right off the bat. So when I'm working with someone, uh, that's going to come a little bit later in the journey. Um, so, I guess a lot of what I help someone do. So for example, if I was talking with you, I'd want to hear more about your relationship with your father, mm. what it was like, how how the relationship evolved over time. What do you miss about him? What do you not miss about him? What was it like to, to be at the funeral? You know, I'd help you explore some of the relationships. So right. I think okay. a, a big part of what I try to help people do is help them understand their experience and and validate their feelings around it and even normalize what they're experiencing. Mm. But, but let me give you an, so I, so I wouldn't just automatically say, I think you should go out and hug a tree today (laughs) for your homework. (laughs) Although that might be nice (laughs) and it might even be helpful, but here's an example um, that even your listeners could be listening to. Um, So I want you to think about losing your father for right now or yeah. if any of your listeners want you to think about losing someone you love about what their absence means to you, that you can never talk to them again, that they are gone off this planet, that you are not, can't pick up a phone and talk to them, that, that, that think about the things that you miss that you can never have anymore and focus for a minute on the absence mm. and notice what that feels like in your body. And then take a breath. And then I would ask you, to change direction of your thoughts. And I want you to imagine your heart sort of opening. And I want you to think about how much you loved that person and how much that person loved you. And I want you to think about some of the gifts they gave you, whether it was a literal gift that you still have or gifts of courage or gifts of compassion or gifts of Mm. support, showing up at your sporting events, all the ways they showed up for you in your life. And I want you to think about how that part of that person is embedded within you and that you're part of that person's legacy. And I want you to see how that feels in your body. And hopefully it's a different experience when you focus on absence versus presence, you get a yeah. different experience. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not so you? much. It's yeah, almost got me to tears. It's not so much <laughs> um, letting go then of or, or disregarding that, that absence feeling that we have. It's about understanding right. that and acknowledging that, but then That's also right. bringing into the table the, the presence that still exists and everything exactly. you've got to be grateful for about that presence because it's still with you yeah even after you lose someone absolutely all that memory and all that love within that will never go away that's right that will never go away that's exactly right and so that kind of experience is what i call a light shift and in my book light after loss i write about a lot of different ways to make that shift so you're shifting out of the pain and the sorrow and the absence which you have to feel by the way and yet, again and again, shifting to the sense of love, the sense of 
mm-hmm. compassion that you're developing potentially for yourself and a sense of connection to this something more, which may be through nature. So it's, I try to help people see that you're on a journey now. You're on a journey that has been um, accelerated perhaps even by this loss as you get to know your new self in the world in this way. Right. And I guess in those times, um, whether it's, you know, soon after or 10 years after we have those, what do you call it? Um, bursts. Um, That's right. The grief grieving, bursts. The grief bursts. Um, you know, you could use that practice, that life shift, um, because you probably exactly. feel that absence. Then you can start think about and then bring in that, that presence that's actually there. Right. And I often will ask people, um, here's a bargain for you. I can wave a wand and take away your pain. You'll never feel sad or angry or sorrowful. You won't long for them. You won't miss them. You'll feel no uh, anxiety or sadness or anger ever again regarding this issue. But the catch is that I'm going to erase your memories and you never knew that person. That person was not your father. For example, you never knew him. You never met him. He never came into your life. You never got to know him. He had no bearing in your life at all. Would you want that bargain? And most people will say no, that they are so happy they knew that person, even if there were conflicts, because that's the other thing. No, no relationships are perfect. No relationships are conflict free. So even knowing that there might have been stuff or unfinished business, you would still probably choose to have known and loved that person, even if it means you're feeling sad now. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Um, okay, so talk to us more about um, practices um, that can help us through this grieving process. I mean, that's a great life shift, and I assume you have many different sort of thoughts, but have you got a few others that you think are quite useful for, for grief? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I certainly believe in um, honoring what I call angel versaries. And so, an angel versary is an anniversary of the death date. And so, a light shift would be on the angel versary to do something to honor that person. And maybe that's uh, donate some money to a cause that you care about or your person cared about. Maybe it's doing some volunteer work. Maybe it's doing a random act of kindness for someone. Maybe it's donating a book to a library, but that you do something specifically to honor their memory. And this has the added bonus of just being some kind of good energy in the world that you're taking something that was hard and painful and sad for you. And you're basically alchemizing it into something good in the world. Mm. And so you have that kind of practice every year, once a year where you're going to do something to honor their memory. Yeah. Okay. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Have you got, have you seen any interesting practices through people doing that or? Yeah. One oh. I really like is um, a random act of kindness. And so yeah. she, yeah. she had had a very tragic loss. Her daughter had died mm-hmm. and she literally had cards made up with the picture of her daughter, you know, picture of her face, her smiling little face and said um, something like, you know, this card entitles you to a random act of kindness. I don't remember exactly what it said, but she would go put them around like in in grocery stores under cereal boxes where people would find them to try to stimulate um, other people doing random acts of kindness. So as I think of it, she must have done it. This is how it went. I think she paid for someone's food in a restaurant and then handed them the card. So she would do a random act of kindness and then hand the card to them so they would know it was in honor of that stranger's daughter and then it would invite them to do a random act of kindness as well to sort of continue the chain of goodwill so i thought that was pretty clever okay 
That is a, a real nice one, isn't it? And what about gratitude? Um, I know you talk a lot about gratitude. Yes. What is gratitude? How does it work? Well, gratitude, as you know, is just a very powerful goodwill emotion. And yeah. so it's also a kind of light shift where you would start to look back and be grateful for the things that your person did in your life, for the ways they touched you. Kind of like that magic question I asked of, would you give all that up if if it meant you didn't feel the pain. And most people say no, because there is so much gratitude. So shifting your attention again and again and again and again on what you're grateful for, what it does is it creates new neural pathways in the brain. And, and this is a good thing. So we know from neuroplasticity that the brain is actually quite malleable and is receptive to new patterns. So if you have a pattern of always being angry, that's what you're going to strengthen. If you have a pattern of always, you know, or not always, but again and again, trying to be grateful for things, that's a new pattern that just makes you feel better and helps you have more joy in the world. And it might even allow you to feel more connected to your loved one. So the other thing I want to mention is that writing letters to your loved one can be a powerful experience. And I'll tell you about what's called automatic writing. You use your dominant hand. So for example, for me, I'm right-handed. You write to your person, maybe for you, you write to your father in your right hand. You tell them about how you're doing, what you miss, any questions you have, what your life is like without him. And then either at the same time, you know, in the same sit sitting session, so to speak, or maybe even the next day, you have him write you back and you're sort of taking dictation, if you will, with your left hand, your non-dominant hand, and you're allowing some sort of channel to come through you. Mm -hmm. So it kind of sounds weird, but if you're open to the process that, that he's going to answer you through a letter to you from him. I've had people do automatic writing for years with their loved one um, as a means of communication, as a means of staying in touch, and even as a means of taking care of unfinished business. Like maybe you never got to tell your person something or you wished you had always said. So say it in a letter and have them write you back. It can be very, very powerful. And what's the idea with using the non-dominant hand to write the letter back? Because I, I reckon yeah. you wouldn't be able to yeah. read it. <laughs> I know you have to go really slow and carefully. And the idea is to try to get your mind out of the way because your mind is trying to work on the letters and is concentrated. So it's sort of, it's like the spirit can bypass into the letter because your mind is focused on trying to form the writing. Right. Otherwise right. the the judge, the inner judge, the inner critic, the inner skeptic can really get in the way. There's some really good practices. Gratitude, I mean, not just in the grieving process, but for anything in life, isn't it? I mean, you talk about creating those neural pathways of gratitude and, and how good it can make you feel. Um, if you have an angry moment or, you know, sad moment or whatever it might be, you can sometimes just flip the switch. And uh, I don't know if you call that a light shift moment, yeah. but um, you know, I just think flip it around and, and think about what's good about the situation, perhaps, or what's good in life, you know? Yes, or if it's not. If, if what's the invitation in the situation? How can you grow? And I think gratitude often gets um, confused that it sh sort of should be big things. 
which are also important, but things like your health and your job and your relationships. But it can also be very, very simple. Like, I'm really grateful for the internet right now that we can communicate like this. You're in Australia, I'm in Guatemala, that's crazy. Or I'm grateful for electricity. I'm grateful when water comes out of the tap when I turn on the water. I'm grateful for indoor plumbing. I'm grateful that my hand moves so I can type. So to really get down into very small and basic gratitude practices for the most simple things, yeah, it matters. I mean, I interview a lot of people about gratitude and I walk away and then I start to, you know, incorporate it and then it sort of just becomes complacent. I suppose you get busy in life, don't you? You don't think about those things. How do you bring that into your everyday life? Like, you know, sitting down after this, taking two seconds to just say, so grateful I had that interview, you know, with Ashley mm. today. Um, I mean, Thank is you. there a method for you? I'm to, grateful to too. Um, well, I would say having a practice at a particular time in a day can be really helpful. And for, you know, most people right. it's at night. And, and I personally, I've heard it before where they say, write down five things you were grateful for from your day. I think it's too hard to write things down. People don't stick to that kind of practice, but if you're falling asleep, if you're, you know, you're kind of in a dreamy state, if you can develop the practice of saying, let me just review my day. Let me think of three things from my day that were really nice that I'm really grateful for. That can be a powerful practice because it shifts from day to day. It's not always mm -hmm. going to be the same ones. It might be, I'm glad I had that interview. That was really nice. And I'm glad I had, wow, that was such a good sandwich at lunch. I'm so grateful I had that sandwich. So it changes from day to day. So while you're falling asleep, and here's a way to really amp that up. And this is based on the research of um, Rick Hansen, who wrote a book called The Buddha's Brain. So he calls this... Um, being able to take in the good, that if you take a few moments with each of those things you were grateful for, and this it sort of sounds weird, but you're trying to amplify the feeling of gratitude. So you don't just list it, oh, I'm grateful I had that delicious sandwich. You pull it apart, amplify it, expand it, and say, oh my God, that's right, that, that cheese, the way it melted, and it was so delicious, and the crunchy bread, and oh, there were those field greens on it, and I love the plate it was on. You expand the experience as you're remembering it gratefully, and that creates amazing neural pathways in your brain. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So really okay, breaking so it apart. Give that a try. You're supposed to do it for 20 seconds, expanding it, absorbing it, teasing it apart for 20 seconds. And that's just going to powerhouse you into happiness. Okay. Got to bring that back into that bed. I have had Rick Hansen on the show um, many, oh, nice. many episodes ago. So, um, and he probably talked about it and I probably started and, and then stopped it. <laughs> so it's about getting that practice, um, you know, consistent, I suppose. Key for life, isn't it? Consistency. Um, yes. And you know, it's never too late to start again. Choose nah. again, choose again. I forgot for a few days. Oh, well, now I can do it again. Give it a go. Yeah. And I think you got to find the, uh, and I always say this, find the things that work for you and, and switch it up if you're feeling it's not working. Um, which I do often enough as well. So actually it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure as well. Wishing I you wish all the you best. All the success with your book. Just tell us quickly the, uh, the, the picture on the front cover is a uh, yeah. Chinese bowl um, that's uh, yeah, cracked and it's, broken um, that's stuck back together with, uh, what is it? Like a, a glue yeah. or something? Uh-huh. It's actually Japanese. It's called Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, Kintsugi. Kintsugi. 
And it's the Japanese practice of taking broken artifacts and gluing them back together with golden joinery, golden glue, so that the new um, image or the new product you have is actually very beautiful in its um, creativity, but it highlights the fractures. That's what's interesting. It's not trying to hide the broken places. In fact, it's creating beauty out of brokenness. And I think that light shifts, turning towards goodness, towards love, towards compassion, towards connection, towards uh, goodness in the world is a kind of golden glue in the brokenness of grief. What a fantastic note to finish on. <laughs> thank you how can, how can people best um obviously we've got the book on amazon here i'll stick the link in the show notes how can people find more about you like is it you have a website we can go to yeah check out my website which is www.ashleydavisbush.com okay, ashleydavisbush.com i'll stick the link in the show notes guys check it out um, connect with ashley ashley thank you for coming on the show my pleasure thank you guys check it out at thehiddenwide.com until next time peace passion and purpose Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee Martinuzzi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon